Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage, and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. It's always fun to get to host married couples as my guests, and today I'm so excited to welcome Tony and Elisa DiLorenzo. They are podcasters, authors, and they coach couples from around the world. This episode originally aired in October of 2022 to conclude our sex series with a holistic view of marriage. As we talk about what Tony and Elisa call the six pillars of intimacy. It became our ninth most downloaded episode that year, and I think this is a great episode to share with your spouse and then discuss together. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Tony and Elisa. Hey. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So excited to get a chat with you today, and let's just dive straight in. Will the two of you share your unexpected journey to hosting the top marriage podcast? Uh. <laughs> well, let's let's just start let's start it from here, Laura. We started the One Extraordinary Marriage Show as a hobby. Mm-hmm. When we started it, our goal was always to be open, honest, and transparent. And the other one was to touch one couple. Getting there was a journey for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've been podcasting since January of 2010. Yeah. Back when people didn't even know what a podcast was, you would tell people you were a podcaster and they'd be like, what is that? It, there was there was no podcast app. There's nothing. There was nothing. And you know, we never we never anticipated that we would still be podcasting, you know, here some 12 and a half years later. We never expected there would be millions upon millions of downloads or that there would be people listening to us around the world. I mean, when Tony first said he wanted to do a podcast, <laughs> he's laughing because he remembers my reaction, which yes. was just like, I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm like you're, he's always been the big vision guy in our marriage. And I was just kind of like, I don't want to like, what are we going to talk about? Who's going to listen to us? And I was just kind of like Debbie Downer. And so he bought the podcast equipment anyway. Mm -hmm. And it sat in our hallway for three months until I got really, really mad as only a wife can and said something to the effect of, are we doing something with this? Or did you just buy it for the heck of it? So that January, (laughs) because I had actually hired a coach to get it all set up or because I didn't know how to do it and it wasn't easy to do back then. So I had hired somebody to help me set it up, bought all the equipment and that financial strain in that time period, you know, we were dealing with the great recession around there. Mm -hmm. Um, It it wasn't really the best way to build up our financial intimacy pillar by any stretch of the imagination, but that's where, that's where we were. And, And three months after we got behind the microphones for the first time, and we shared our first episode, which is 60 Day Sex Challenge. Little did I know at that point in time in Elisa's head, she was like, you know what, I'll do five or 10 episodes. And now here we are well into over 700. 700. 
That is incredible. And so you mentioned the Great Recession at the time. Can you also elaborate on your personal journey during that season and what led you up to that 60-day sex challenge? Yeah. So Tony and I got married in 1996. We were young. We were 22 and 23 when we got married. We we came into marriage with our own set of dysfunction as every married couple does because you're, you know, two unique people trying to blend a life together and and thinking that, you know what? Everything will work out no matter what. Cuz we it, love each other. Because we love each other and we said our I do's and that wasn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Tony had come into our marriage with a pornography addiction, which I had knowledge of, but I didn't know how that was going to impact me as a married woman and us as a married couple. That was one of the struggles that we we navigated in our first six, seven years of marriage. Mm-hmm. We we found ourselves doing, you know, financial debt with a whole lot of zeros and a whole lot of stupidity mm-hmm. over the those first years as well, living off credit cards, trying to keep up with the Joneses and and not really having any plan, any plan, nothing. Yeah. We had no plan. We had no understanding of how to navigate, you know, even a, a simple back then. I mean, it was just the two of us and we had an apartment we lived in and maybe one car that we, we didn't even understand how to budget or have a monthly cash flow plan back then. Mm-hmm. And then in between our two children who are now 19 and 16, when our oldest was two, we we lost our second child. Mm-hmm. Um, our son, Andrew, died at 18 weeks gestation. And, and so there were a lot of things in that first 10, 11 years mm-hmm. that, you know, even as we say them out loud to you, I'm thinking, you know, any one of these potentially derails a marriage permanently, you know, ends up in divorce. And we were, it seemed like we were just bouncing from one to another and it really ultimately found ourselves living as roommates, two young kids. The kids were two and five at that point in time. And then, you know, Tony and I are in a church and I don't even know how we found ourselves leading a small group. I think everybody else had kind of passed on the. <laughs> something, something had happened, but we were, we were leading. Yeah, we were, we were about to lead a small group study at our church. And I just remember looking at Elisa and we, we came to Christ four years into our marriage at different times. But we were here at this church, and again, we had a five and a two year old. And I remember just looking at Elisa going, you know what? If we're going to do something, if we're going to do lead a small group study for married couples, let's talk about sex. Like, let's talk about the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, yet we need to talk about. I was out driving around. I remember Elisa just going, if you find me a book, I'll consider it. And I remember there was a Berean Christian bookstore. I think it was a Berean Christian bookstore here. One of the last ones in San yeah, Diego. Right here off the 163. And I remember I was going between jobs and I ran myself into that into that store. And I was in that marriage section looking for anything I could find that we could talk about sexual intimacy in the context through the Bible and what God's word has to say about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm so curious at Berean Bookstore, did you find a resource that was helpful in that area? Yeah, it took me a little time. And then I finally landed on the book called Intimacy Ignited, Dillo and Pintus. Pintus. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we got to give a lot of credit to them because those authors really sort of catapulted us to where we are today mm-hmm. because we got that book and I brought it home and it's over the Song of Solomon. And 
fantastic book. But right before we're about to start that study, that small group study, we have some other friends at that church, older couple, their daughters are older than us. And their daughters were doing something like some beach tennis or mm-hmm. something. I don't remember, but they were, they're on a, they're doing a segment on a local station here. And so Elise and I were like, yeah, you know what? We'll watch it because we want to support you and we love you guys. They're like, Hey, go watch, go watch our daughters are going to be on TV. And we did, but it was a segment after that really got us thinking. It got me thinking because what came up after that were two couples that had done sex challenges. Mm-hmm. One was the first couple, she gifted her husband 365 days. She gifted him a year of sex for his 40th birthday. They never say exactly how, how many, many days, days, but but that was the gift. That was a gift. The next couple did 101 days mm-hmm. straight. Like they went 101 days. And through that, I was like, I was watching this going, we're going to start this small group study. I'm thinking Elise and I, we're not really having sex like I would like us to. We're not connecting in our marriage like we we should be. And I just looked at her and I was thinking in my head, I go, 60 days is how long we're going to do our study. I looked at her. I go, you know what? Let's do a 60 day sex challenge. And I very quickly said no. <laughs> very quickly. I was like, I'm not into it. Um, kids are two and five. I've got somebody hanging off of me every day and I, I, I'm not connected to you. The idea of having sex for 60 days at that point in time seemed just like so far out in left field. And then we went to bed. I put on a green face mask so I wouldn't try anything that night. The next morning really had that come to Jesus moment with a mm-hmm. basket full of laundry in our garage where it was very much, um, I heard the voice of God saying, if you're not willing to try, then your marriage is over. And there haven't been a lot of times in my life, Laura, when I've heard God's voice, but it was so clear that day that I was like, all right, well, he comes, Tony comes home from work. I'm like, I guess I'm in. And he's like, in for what? Yeah. I was caught completely off guard. Um, And once she told me, then I was like, oh my goodness, what did I just get myself into? And we, we set up some parameters for us. We shared with our small group study, what we were doing And over those 60 days, we ended up completing 40 of those 60 days. And that is what was the beginning of what is now One Extraordinary Marriage. But even then, when we completed it, we had done something extraordinary in our own marriage that transformed us. And we weren't stepping into anything like, oh, we need to talk to other couples about it or anything of that nature. We just knew in our own hearts and our own spirits that something had changed in our lives. And and we were going to not let go of that. Wow. And so this experiment kind of became a catalyst, it sounds like, for your own marriage to get on a completely different trajectory. And then the Lord kind of organically seemed to bring other opportunities to you. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. You know, a lot of people hear us talk about a sex challenge and they're like, oh, okay, well, that's just sex. And, and, you know, so it's only about sex and singularly focused on sex. And what we realized. And we've done 15 of them now. Yeah. So we've got a little experience here. Yeah. And anywhere from seven days to 60 days. So we've done a number of them. What we came to realize in that first one is that sex was the, the initial catalyst. Like what does it look like to make our sexual intimacy a priority? But, but over that two month period, we really, we rediscovered our marriage. We we discovered that there were certain things that we needed to have in place across the board that, that made us stronger. We realized that 
our communication had fallen off. We realized that we'd stopped having fun together. There were all of these different realizations and it wasn't just the challenge. It was what happens when a couple, despite having two young children, despite running businesses or having jobs, despite all of the distractions, what happens when a couple makes their marriage a priority? Mm -hmm. And it has now led even your most recent book about the six pillars of intimacy. I want to get into each of those because sexual intimacy, like you said, that's just one piece of it. But if somebody is still trying to wrap their mind around the sex challenge, I appreciate your openness about just saying we completed 40 of the 60 days because you were not being legalistic. It sounds like about this. This is the goal to connect 60 times in 60 days. There were things I remember even hearing you say, like if, if you had a headache or you were not feeling well or different times that you would acknowledge and you would both agree, you would say no, but it sounds like it was more so about the goal of connection. Yeah. And that's, and that's a really big point because I think a lot of people can get caught up in the legalism of trying something for their marriage and feel like a failure if they don't follow it to every I being dotted or T being crossed. Whereas if we say, okay, you know what, if our goal is to, if our goal is to strengthen our marriage, if our goal is to have more connection, if our goal is to, to stretch ourselves and to see what else is possible, then success can be measured in very different ways. And we can, we don't have to stay in this place of I either succeeded or I failed. It's no wait, Okay. You know, we, we attempted, maybe you attempt a, a seven day sex challenge and you end up with four out of seven. Well, for most couples, four times in one week is actually going to be a tremendous amount of success, statistically speaking. And so celebrate that. Celebrate the connection, celebrate the conversation, celebrate how you were flirting with one another instead of coming down on each other and going, but we didn't finish all seven. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, winshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. And as we look holistically then at marriage, what are the six pillars of intimacy? So the first one is emotional intimacy. This is all of your verbal and nonverbal communication. This is expressing your thoughts, your desires, your dreams, your emotions, really getting into that place of what does it look like to be able to share very much in the way that a lot of couples do at the very beginning when they're getting to know each other and we share everything, but to have that continuously. The second intimacy is physical intimacy. 
And we do separate physical intimacy and sexual intimacy. So physical intimacy is all of your non-sexual touch. It's the hugs, the kisses. It might be, you know, a back rub or a foot rub. It might be the hand resting on an arm or across the small of your back. It's that non-sexual touch that really just says, you are my person. So we go emotional, physical. Then we talk about financial intimacy. And this is one that a lot of people are like, did you just put financial and intimacy together? Like, what is that about? Because in a lot of families growing up, we're taught that you don't, you don't talk about money. And it's not something that a lot of people have experience with. But yet when you get married to become one, and one of the areas that couples have to become one in is their finances. So this is everything from what's your cash flow plan to how are the two of you planning for retirement and setting up your trust and will. Mm -hmm. All of that gets incorporated into your financial intimacy. Yeah. The next one is your spiritual intimacy. And those are your religious practices, beliefs, your faith. And how are you doing that together? And this was an interesting one because Elisa and I have really talked about this over our years. We've been followers of Jesus since 2000. And, you know, it, it's a personal relationship. We talk about that personal relationship. And yet, what does it look like in your marriage as a married couple? How are you strengthening your spiritual intimacy? Is it through worship? Is it through devotions? Are you praying together? Are you going to service together? Are you serving together? Those are all vastly different. And yet, they strengthen that pillar for the two of you. And so finding what it is, one or two of them that works for the two of you, that's really important when you're looking at your spiritual intimacy pillar. Mm -hmm. The next one's your recreational intimacy. This is all about your fun. Like, mm -hmm. let's have fun. These are your, your dates, your activities. What are you guys doing together to connect in a way that's from, you, you could be paddle boarding to playing cards. You could go on a, an extravagant date night to lighting some candles throwing on some music and eating a meal at home. What are you doing to have fun? And what are those activities you do together? And the last one is our, is our sexual intimacy pillar. And this is your romance. You're initiating your foreplay and your sexual intercourse. And how are you strengthening each one of those to experience and strengthen that sexual intimacy pillar? I love how you both explain that. It's so succinct and it's such a proactive or intentional approach to marriage to yeah. be working on each of these pillars. But then if we're looking at the opposite side, through all of the couples that you've encountered, have you recognized any emerging themes for ways that people unintentionally drift into an unhealthy marriage? A couple of themes that come up pretty often. I mean, I've been coaching couples and individuals for almost 10 years now. And so one of the things that happens a lot is this drift towards becoming roommates. Um, I actually discuss roommate syndrome in the book. And it's this, you know, a couple gets really good at doing the logistics of their lives together. Everything from, you know, who's paying what bills to, you know, what's on the schedule and how are we navigating mm -hmm. this? But there's this lack of curiosity, this loss of curiosity that happens. You know, when you remember when you were like first dating or first getting to know your spouse, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, like who was your second grade teacher? And, you know, what kind of cereal did you have in the cabinet? And tell me about, you know, your favorite family vacation. And then, I mean, Tony, I've been married 25 years. There can become this point in time where you're like, I know you, I don't have to ask those questions. And so we stop being curious. And that lack of curiosity can lead to cracks in that emotional intimacy pillar because we're not we're not having conversations anymore. I'm not learning who you are today. I'm stuck in this place of who you were 20, 
30 years ago. And that lack of curiosity can also play out in the the physical and the sexual intimacy, because now we're just kind of doing the same old, same old, and it feels very routine. And so you can get into this place where most often I see cracks in either the emotional intimacy or in the sexual intimacy and how those are playing into the other four as well. And now on the positive side, what patterns or small changes have you noticed that seem to help married couples grow healthier to and experience what you describe as an extraordinary marriage? So if we look at our emotional intimacy, one of the big things that we talk about a lot with the one family is walk and talks, getting out, being active and having some space in your lives where you're just moving and people do it differently. Some are, some are driving, some are doing whatever they want to do. We call it walk and talk, but they're getting out and they're engaging one another intentionally and then taking action. So it's not happenstance. It's not circumstantial. If something opens up in our schedule, we'll make this happen. No, they're being intentional by scheduling that and going, no, on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights or, you know, two nights a week, we're going to make sure that we get out for a 20 minute walk and talk and just connect. Mm-hmm. So when couples, I really see in, in each one of the pillars, when, when couples are intentional in one of them or all of them, and then they take action, that's the positive. That's where we see the breakthrough. That's where we see the revelation that happens. And we've seen it happen time and time and time again with couples. Mm-hmm. And is there any common feedback that you're getting about any specific pillars that you notice are most sought after? Probably the three most sought after are emotional, physical, and sexual. Because, and it was very intentional when we put the framework together that your emotional intimacy and your sexual intimacy would be the two on either end, because they really do sort of serve as anchors and are often are often the source of the greatest tension in a marriage. And what I mean by that is you'll have one spouse who says, you know, I just want us to talk more. I need more emotional connection, and that's not always the woman. There are lots of men that feel that way too. And then on the other other end, there's a lot of spouses who are like, I just need us to be, you know, sexually intimate. I need to have that time with you. I need us to be fully present there. Again, not always the man that's asking for that. There are also a lot of women who desire that high sexual connection. Mm -hmm. And so when couples get into a place of saying, how can we be intentional? In every chapter around the six pillars, I wrote a section called, what can I do? And where we see the greatest breakthrough for couples is when they can get into that place and they, instead of being like, here's what you need to do, they can look at the person in the mirror and say, okay, here's where we're at. The sex isn't where we want it to be. The conversations aren't where we want it to be. You know, the physical touch isn't where we want it to be. How am I empowered to make a difference in our marriage today instead of waiting for my spouse to do something different? I see how interconnected each of these are. Like you're saying that physical, the non-sexual touch, if we're having healthy, frequent non-sexual touch, most likely that will impact us in the bedroom. And Mm -hmm. when we're connecting financially and discussing our goals together, that emotionally bonds us. So I think it's brilliant how you've laid these all out. And Tony, you were talking about taking action. I think it's always beneficial to hear some replicable habits that we can all incorporate for our own marriages. So what are some of those rhythms or action items that you've witnessed married couples intentionally plugging into their own lives? Yeah, so we can go through all of them. You know, emotional intimacy, that walk and talk. 
boom, that's one. Physical intimacy. Is it, hey, we're holding hands when we are going out. And I think that's, as we grow, we, we start that way, right, Laura? We, we start holding hands as a couple and then kids come in the way. And then before you know it, no matter if you have two or five kids, mom's on one end and dad's on the other end and we're never touching each other. So are we ritually making it a point to make sure that we are holding hands at times and, and engaging in that um, around your financial intimacy? Are we just taking an evening just to go over our cash flow plan? Maybe once a quarter, we're looking at big picture and once a year, we're really looking at what's really going on on spiritual intimacy for Elisa and I this year, our, our challenge for ourselves and being committed is praying out loud together three times a week, recreational intimacy. We we're just playing games. We're, we're getting it to a point of where it's like, it's fun. It doesn't need to be this elaborate thing, but in 20 minutes, we can be in the moment, have a lot of good time together, have some fun together and strengthen that pillar. And then our sexual intimacy for us and those in the one family is what we have it's called the intimacy lifestyle. And that's where we schedule sex. And we've been doing that for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And many in the one family have done that as well. And that's the one at the Savvy Sauce. We will always get the most questions about sexual intimacy in marriage, especially when you find a couple who's got a biblical worldview. So any other encouragement for couples? Let's talk to the ones who are on all ends of the spectrum, those who are kind of in a sexless marriage right now, to those who are very satisfied, but always wanting to grow stronger. How would you encourage them? Yeah, if if you're in a sexless marriage, I mean, there can be a lot of reasons. There can be health reasons that are preventing the two of you. There can be, you know, and past- you work with couples who I have. Do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're they're in this season and you've worked with many a couples. Some individuals in a marriage may have past sexual trauma that you know predates the marriage that maybe they've never gotten help for. And so because of just time and whatnot in the marriage, it's rearing its head. And what I would say to that is if that's you, please go seek professional help to deal with the trauma. that you've experienced. God did not want you to live in a place where you are being held in bondage because of your trauma. That was never the intent for any of us, um, that somebody would violate you in that way. And then you would have to be miserable. There are professionals that can help with that. And in some cases, the sexlessness comes as a result of resentments and bitterness that have been allowed to fester, unforgiveness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really getting into a place as well, where the two of you likely need to work with a marriage coach to to work through that healing process. It's very easy to say, I forgive. Um, it's a whole lot harder to walk that out, you know, sexually with your body if, you're, if your brain is still holding on to stuff. And, you know, I work with a lot of couples where we, we do have cases of infidelity, broken trust, betrayal, things like that. And it's about, you know, being able to let go, to walk through the process of forgiveness and actually to see the demonstrated trust come back into the marriage so that you can choose to both be emotionally and sexually vulnerable with one another and, and break through that season of sexlessness. And then for the couples who are coming together maybe semi-regularly, mm-hmm. and they're both pretty content, how would you encourage them to take it to the next level to connect? 
A lot of that is specifically as Christians. I think we're taught at an early age not to talk about our sex lives, right? Like, you know, we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about sex, sex. You know, there's all kinds of messaging around sex. And I think, you know, for a lot of those couples where it's, it's good, the, the going to the next level, whatever that might be for them might be like, what does it look like for us to be able to talk about our sexual intimacy? What does it look like for us mm-hmm. to be able to, to express what is pleasurable to us to express little things like I might want to try a new position or I might want to, you know, have sex with the lights on or in a different room. And so getting into that place where there's more comfort, just developing that skill. All it is, is a skill of saying, okay, like I I, want to talk about this. Can we talk about it for 10 minutes? And, you know, if it gets too uncomfortable, we'll just, you know, we'll go for a walk. And and that actually, a lot of those conversations are best done on like a walk and talk when you don't have to be sitting down across from each other. And outside your bedroom. And I would, 100% 100% agree with Elisa on this, where I see those couples, the sex is good. It's just there's no emotional connection or very little emotional connection. And what they're really desiring is to know that their spouse is enjoying what's going on. And by taking a step and going, well, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. What do you like? What are the touches you like? What do you want to see around foreplay? What does it look like to initiate? Alisa and I, 25 years married, we still ask each other these questions because we are constantly changing. We're getting older and we need to know that. And so even for ourselves around our sexual intimacy, if we feel like there's some cracks happening in that pillar, a lot of it is getting back into the place of going, hey, What's going on in this area? What do you like again? And so rediscovering one another. Really cannot imagine a better answer. That is so good. And that's so foundational to all of them. When we can grow in that skill to communicate in a healthy way, endless options are available for intimacy. You provide so much of that with your podcast and books and resources So when people from around the world are reaching out to you, what are just a few of your favorite or most asked questions from listeners and followers? Wow, they range. (laughs) They really do range. I mean, it it, it sometimes is just dependent upon what we're talking about that week on on the show because it stirs up something in people Mm -hmm. and they're reaching out. I love that people ask us the questions they don't ask anyone else. Yeah. So it's not so much that we see, you know, the same questions asked over and over again, but because, because we're a couple that's been married to one another for 25 going on 26 years, because we aren't, you know, we aren't shy about our faith. If you listen to our show long enough, I mean, clearly spiritual intimacy is one of the pillars. We talk about the fact that we are Christians in the book and on the podcast. So that we'll talk about sex openly, honestly, and transparently and allow people who've never had that opportunity to go, wow, if Tony and Lisa can talk about it and look where they've come in since they started, where could we be? I mean, people are so incredibly vulnerable. We've gotten 3000 word emails from people before outlining what's going on in the world because there was nobody else for them to turn to. When God moved us into a place where people would trust us with their lives. And that's ultimately, Mm -hmm. that's what the One Extraordinary Marriage show became was a place where people could could trust others with Mm -hmm. what's going on in their marriage. They they realized they weren't alone. That's what makes what we do so exciting and why we get up and do it every day because we know that there's going to be another question that we'll figure out a way to answer for somebody. 
I want to take a moment to say thank you. You are the reason our team gets to delight in this work, and we appreciate each of you so very much. If you're benefiting from the lessons learned and applied from the Savvy Sauce, would you take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? Five-star ratings and reviews help us reach more people around the globe, and that promotes our goal of sharing joy. So join us in that endeavor with your valuable feedback. Thanks again for being here with us. Just to close the loop on some of the pieces of your story as well, when we look through the lens of these six pillars, can we go back and revisit what did recovery from the pornography addiction look like? There's two, there's two sides of it, right? Because it it was a we issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, it impacted both of us, even though I was viewing it. I had a miraculous encounter. So I had multiple times where I tried to stop looking at pornography. I put filters on, I did the, you know, calendar thing. Don't look at it and, you know, change the habits, do this, do that. And none of it worked. And I would just fall back into it. Typically I fell back to it when those pillars did have cracks in it. When I felt like Elisa didn't care about the marriage or me or was spending more time in other things. And that was my place to go. And I had a a moment in one of our first places here in San Diego. My computer was set up in the garage. And then on the other wall was our living room. It was a cool little townhome. And Elisa was breastfeeding our, our oldest at the time. And he was a year old. And I went into that garage to go look at pornography. And I remember God saying, it is finished. And I was like, what? And it was just in that moment, Laura, where I just knew exactly because I was going, I was loading up the page and he said, it is finished. And I was like, okay. And I walked in and I told Elisa and that was, that was painful because I had to admit that I had been looking at it again. And here she is with a one-year-old, not feeling like the sexiest that she could possibly feel like, and that's what you're doing. And so I'll let her talk about her recovery, but for myself, it was that is finished. And I told her, I said, Elisa, it's done. And I will let you know if I look at pornography ever again. A week later, she left to go with our oldest to go see her folks. In that time frame, I ended up opening up, looking one more time. I called her. I said, Elisa, I have to tell you, I looked at pornography again and I heard her voice and I heard the disappointment and the sadness. It wasn't really disappointment towards me or anything, but just this sadness, like, Okay. And from that point on, Laura, I have not looked at it since. And it's been 18 years. Mm-hmm. And the recovery part was God completely wiped my brain and I had no desire whatsoever to go to it again. And she was gone another, she was gone, I think another three, four days before she even got home. And I had no desire. It was just like, literally God miraculously just said, Tony, you're here. I hear you. And I'm wiping it clean. And I've heard, uh, I've told that story to some of my other buddies and I've had other buddies who've had a similar experience. So at that point in time, I was done. But it wasn't just the fact that the pornography was finished. I mean, there was a lot of restoration that had to happen and repair to our sexual intimacy because it had been so, so devalued, so minimized Mm -hmm. for so many years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting at at the opening of, every podcast episode that we do, Tony, you know, introduces himself and he introduces me. And and in the opening, he refers to me as my beautiful wife. 
And this he's is my beautiful wife, Lisa. He's done that for the last 10 years. We actually, he reads it every week for anybody who cares, but it, the word beautiful is not in there. And when we went to that opening about two years into doing the podcast, I didn't believe it. Yeah. It had been a lot of years of comparing myself to the women in pornography. It had been a lot of years of, you know, questioning, even though he wasn't looking at porn, what are the active steps that we're doing? You know, how is it just me knowing that it was just me that he was envisioning and, and you know, whatnot. And when he started to call me beautiful, I, I resisted. I was kind of like, okay, that's weird, dude. But he's done it at least once a week. Um, that's the only way he introduces me now, anywhere that we go. But in that, I have found that in the last 10 years, as I approach 50, I just turned 48, it's one of those things where, like I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, I am more beautiful now than I am the day that your dad married me. And, and I know it and yeah. I feel it, but it's because the power of the words and because of the power of the actions that have restored that yeah. both in and out of the bedroom. Yeah. That's another God story of just God speaking to me going, you were going to say that no matter what. And over the years, I've come to realize that the word beautiful impacts not only Elisa, but it impacts me. And we've done episodes around this because our words have power. And when I hear that and I know it and I believe it, I see her as the wife and the woman that God has given me. Wow. That is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that full testimony. And I do believe that somebody, maybe multiple people listening right now are enslaved to an addiction to pornography. And I think it's helpful for all of us to hear and let this sink in that it is finished and hope is possible. And when we turn to Jesus, he absolutely has the strength to overcome even a stronghold like that. So thank you for walking us through the reality of what that looks like, even with recovery. Mm -hmm. And also want to loop back, you had mentioned financial crisis in mm -hmm. those years as well. And so what was practically helpful with your financial intimacy pillar and what got you through that time? Yeah, we really had to step into a place. So I, I grew up in a family where like my dad handled the finances. I, I don't even know. I mean, to this day, my parents have been married 50 years now. Like, I don't know that my mom does anything more than like have her ATM card. Right. Like I, I, that's just the reality. You know, they got married in 72 and, and, you know, here we are 50 years later. And part of my my family's financial story as well is that my parents declared bankruptcy and, and we lost our home when I was a senior in high school. And so I remember, you know, the Thanksgiving turkey being delivered by the church and whatnot. And so I had a lot of really, really strong fears around finance that I brought in. And so a lot of like secret behaviors, like secret spending or not, you know, being completely honest on how much I spent. And so, you know, as we found ourselves in debt, it was very much part of that healing process for us is like, okay, how do we get comfortable talking about money? It's kind of like getting comfortable talking about sex, right? It's like, okay, these conversations are awkward. I don't want to tell you what I spent. But at the same time, being in debt and having the burden of the debt isn't any fun either. So developing that skill and doing, you know, what I share with a lot of coaching clients is start with like 10 minute conversations, right? You don't have to, your first money meeting doesn't have to be this three hour long, 22 spreadsheet, four calculators sitting on the counter. It can be, Hey, what's the first thing you want to talk about with our finances? 
just write it down and be like, high five, we got through our first money meeting. Let's schedule the next one. Okay. And just taking baby steps because whether it's the burden of sexlessness, whether it's the burden of debt, change happens with the little steps done consistently over time. Another piece of your story, I'm sure you never wrap it up this side of heaven with a perfect little bow, but grieving the loss of your second son, Andrew, Mm -hmm. what helped the two of you come through that and come through that where you were more together than against each other? So God gave us a very precocious third child. Yeah. And I'll never forget the day she would have been three. Our oldest would have been six Six. at the time they were in the kitchen and Alex, the older one looks at her and is like, you know, we have a brother in heaven, don't you? And she whirled on me with just all of this energy in her sweet little face. Cause we'd, we'd been grieving for three years. We were disconnected. This, all of our intimacies had cracks in the pillars. And so this sweet and sassy little three-year-old looks at me and she goes, I didn't know that. How come he got to go to heaven first? Yes. And I was like, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't the plan. Like I didn't plan for any of you to go to heaven for, but she was so curious and she would, she would ask these questions. You know, she wanted to know all about Andrew and she wanted to know, you know, mommy, does he run with Jesus in heaven? Does he like macaroni and cheese, mom? Mom, does he like, does he get to play with Jesus every, and she would just ask these questions that as only a three-year-old can. And she forced me very specifically to confront the grief that I had stayed stuck in. Mm-hmm. I, I very much had camped out in the valley of the shadow of death instead of going through it. And she is she is now 16 and still asking lots of questions. But she is she was our gift to work through grief because her questions forced us to confront the loss. And in our society, Laura, you have to grieve. And then you got to go through it. And if you can't get through it, get help. Mm-hmm. Because if you're getting stuck and it hurts, it hurts when you lose a child. Gosh, I'm thinking of, and I'm getting teary-eyed because I'm thinking of a couple in the one family who their son committed suicide. And I go, man, that's rough. And yet, you know, we got to confront grief in our society. We pushed it aside. And Elise and I have been willing to talk about it. We've talked about those times when we lost Andrew and my anger and her, her depression and, and us just having to walk through this season and going, what are we doing? And, and confronting grief at other times with the loss of my dad and other folks in our lives, but really just fully going, you know what? It's okay to cry. It's okay to hug one another, not know what to say. And so I think even today, You know, we just, we keep just pressing forward and just going, Hey, you know what? If it comes up, we need to address it Mm because something came up. So let's talk about it again. And I, and I would say for Elisa, it's taken, what did it take you? What what did we figure the last episode we did around it was probably eight years from start to finish. Yes, because we actually, I don't know if you remember, I think it would have been probably 2000, 2000, whatever the date was of the Sandy Hook shootings. We had actually, we recorded an episode that day called From Morning to Joy. Yeah. And I think that was roughly seven or eight years after Andrew had died. And the reality is, is that my journey did take that long because Mm -hmm. 
the thing with with infant loss, miscarriage, loss of a child, loss of a child. Jeez. You know, and you couple that with postpartum. Some twenty years ago, postpartum and infant loss wasn't recognized nearly as much as it was today. So I knowingly in hindsight did not get the help that I needed to process. And so my journey took a whole lot longer and I had some very bad coping mechanisms, which also led us into debt because I would spoil both my kids at Christmas to make up for the one that I didn't have to hold on to and things like that. And so it's what I tell people all the time is I'm like, please go get help. Don't take, don't, don't take my long circuitous route find a grief counselor to work with, tell your doctors if you're struggling, keep telling people until somebody gets you and points you in the direction because yes, you can pray and yes, God heals, but very practically, there are times when we need a counselor, when we need medication, when we need different things to break that cycle so that we can get back in line with exactly what God's got in store for us. Amen. Absolutely. And he's equipped some of those people to get to journey alongside each of us when we face suffering and struggles. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that vulnerability from both of you and just how you model. You didn't choose isolation. It wasn't easy, but you still were in conversation with one another. You were in conversation with the Lord. You were in conversation with professionals. And I think you just model a very healthy way to walk through what comes at us in life, because it may be different for each of us. We've talked a lot about your past experience. And now, currently, where do the two of you still turn for growth and continued learning or inspiration for your own marriage? Well, we make doing a marriage getaway Mm-hmm. at least once a year a priority for the two of us. And that's, yes, we do travel by ourselves. Our kids are older, so it's a little bit easier for us. But we do, you know, whether it's our own church's marriage weekend or, you know, going to other marriage events, that's a priority for us. We we were just recently at one and somebody's like, why do you come to, like, you're Tony and Lisa, why do you, I'm like, because we, we haven't arrived yet. Yeah, we still need it. We still need it. We do listen to marriage podcasts with us all the time, and I will I'll pop in and listen to an episode. I will read books, listen to audio books. Mm-hmm. We have our own coaches, both in our personal lives, business. So we we have a lot of inputs where we're still growing. And I think for us, it's what we share with the one family. Be intentional, take action. And we look at areas in our own lives where things may have fallen off and we're like, wow, we did that really well for a year or more, but we haven't done it for the last three months, six months. You know what? We need to get back over there because when we were, things were going smooth. So let's just jump back in there. And, and how are we going to be intentional and how are we going to take action in that? And and that's how we continue to just look at this marriage journey and go, and you know what? We, we, we don't arrive. We keep going. We we have times when things are just going great and other times when it's not. It's okay. We have one another. We're on the same team. We're not going to stop holding each other's hand and we're going to keep moving forward together. I love it. Be intentional and take action. And that's helpful to hear how you're prioritizing growth. And for anybody who is also prioritizing growth, if they want to continue learning from the two of you, where would you like to direct them? Everything comes to the website, oneextraordinarymarriage.com. Um, you'll find links to the podcast there, links to social, all the courses, coaching. Literally, if we do it, oneextraordinarymarriage.com is where you can find it. Yeah. 
wonderful. We will put a link to that website in the show notes for today's episode. And you both may be familiar that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or Mm -hmm. discernment. And so as my final question for both of you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? I would say, you know, the one thing that Tony and I have done consistently over the last 12 and a half years is we have had one intentional conversation, at least one intentional conversation a week. We happen to have recorded all of ours. It is the podcast, but that, that one habit of spending 30 minutes a week talking to one another, having even a when conversation. we didn't want to, even, yeah, we've, there, <laughs> there are a few fights recorded, but that has, yes. that has definitely been and from my perspective, that has been the glue mm-hmm. that has kept us together through all kinds of storms in the last decade plus. Yeah. And for me, I would go on the other side, go with the sexual intimacy, and that's our intimacy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that's kept us focused on that pillar uh, in a way that's allowed us to grow through all seasons of life. And really interested to see how both of these continue to impact our marriage as we go from 25 to 50 years. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Tony and Elisa, it's just been such an honor to get to spend time with the two of you. And your testimony is powerful because Jesus' strength and redemption is shining through your story. So thank you for being so willing to be open to share. And thank you for being my guest today. Oh, it's been our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Laura. Ever since launching this podcast in 2018, our team has tried to release at least one episode every Monday morning. In addition, we also launched a secret bonus episode for paying patrons on the first of every month, but we're changing things up a bit. We will continue to release the bonus episode for paying patrons, but on those weeks when it's the first of the month, that will be the only episode going live, which means next week on Monday, there will not be a brand new episode available for the general public. If you've benefited from any messages on the Savvy Sauce, we would encourage you to support our work through joining Patreon. You can go to thesavvysauce.com, click on the Patreon tab, click join Patreon here, and then follow the prompts so that you can have access to all these bonus episodes and downloadable scripture cards. We hope you join us there. Otherwise, we'll see you back here in two weeks. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. 
Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.